Amen. Good morning, church. <clears throat> hey, we're in week two of this series called Church People, and one of the reasons we showed that video, one, just want to point out that guy's not in our band, uh, two, um, that God saves who he decides to save, all kind of different people. There's not like this, this mold of church people, and so for all of us, that is, that is very good news. Would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God? <clears throat> I'm in uh, Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Now, Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church, and they taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And so the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. May God add blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, we are in... We're in uh, Acts chapter 11, second week of the series called Church People, and, and typically the way I preach is what's called expository preaching. I will just, you know, grab a verse or grab a section and say, here's what it says, here's what it means, here's what it says, here's what it means. Oh, it reminds me of a story and tell a story. That's how I preach, so it's not that difficult, uh, but today we're going to do it a little bit different. Even though this, this chapter is very, very significant in church history, um, essentially what we just read is that the mission of the church is beginning to flex in its fullness. Remember, Jesus told the disciples uh, to go into all the earth, but they had just been kind of hanging out right in Jerusalem. And so the center of Christianity is going to move from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is really kind of a nowhere place, all right? I mean, it's a nice city or whatever, but it it doesn't really have any spiritual significance. And what's interesting here is when word gets out that, that Gentiles are getting saved, the church doesn't send like the big dogs, you know, Peter, James, John, those, like the CEO, vice president, those guys of Christianity. It sends kind of some nobodies, some just, who's Barnabas? I don't know, right? It's son of encouragement, kind of a, kind of a you know, hugger, all right? He likes to hug and stuff. And so they send him, and then, and then Barney goes, and he gets this guy named Saul, and, uh, you know, Saul's kind of a reject. He's going to end up being a big deal, but at this point, he's not a big deal either. And so today's message is called um, Unlikely Messengers. And uh, that seems appropriate to me, for me. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend the entirety of our time just on one verse. And I'm going to share my testimony, my story with you. And I want to be real clear about something is that I'm not trying to make a big deal of me. All right. The glory goes to God. But if this is going to be your church and I'm going to be your pastor, you know, we ought to know each other. And so here we go. All right. Um, I was raised in uh, Dillon, South Carolina. You hear me talk about Dillon a lot. Dillon, South Carolina. The, uh, my daddy says the best thing to ever come out of Dillon is I-95, and he is right. It's a great place to be from. 
President Reagan said about Dylan, uh, well, he went kind of close to Dylan on a trip one time, and it was during the Cold War. Remember, we all thought we were going to die. And uh, he said, when the end of the world comes, I would like to be in the low country of South Carolina because everything there happens 10 years later. And that is the truth, right? <laughs> so Dylan is the, uh, you know, home of the, the wide tire Camaro, the mullet, those kinds of things. Dylan is the kind of place where just because you ja- graduate from high school, you don't stop wearing your letter jacket. Uh-uh, you can rock that thing well into your 20s. And so uh, that's Dylan. <laughs> And that's where I grew up. If you've ever been on I-95 North and you see the big tacky uh, billboards for Pedro's south of the border, fireworks and overpriced gas, that is Dillon, South Carolina. Can you believe it? So that's where I grew up. And there was this man in Dillon uh, named Coach Bull Lee. And Coach Lee was a big deal. He was the JV football coach when I was there. And uh, he, he ran this camp called Camp Pine Hill Baptist Retreat Center. And uh, he didn't... He, he, never really sought to go into the ministry. The way he tells it is this. He says, Joey Martin, I was at a deacon's meeting at First Baptist Church in Dillon, got up to go to the bathroom, and while I was in the hallway, they voted and put me in charge of Camp Pine Hill, all right? <laughs> so that's how he got in charge of camp. <clears throat> and, uh, and so that's, that's where I really met Jesus. That's where I learned about Jesus. Uh, we didn't grow up going to, going to church at all. We didn't really fit in. We hunted and fished, praise God. We didn't really go to church. And so I don't have much of a church background. Where I'm from, pew means something doesn't smell good. It's not something you sit in, right? So, but Coach Lee loved us like crazy, and he shared the gospel with us. But quite honestly, that camp was pretty horrendous. If, uh, I mean, just as far as the activities. I mean, it was amazing, but, but it, it was kind of, kind of a cruddy place. Like, the, the place that we stayed in were just these cabins. They didn't even have plumbing. You had to go outside to use the bathroom. They had an outdoor shower facility. That sounds awesome, doesn't it, for a kid's camp? Uh, um, it, it was like we didn't even have like real worship, you know, it wasn't, it was, we didn't have a band or anything cool like that, it was just one guy on a guitar, and probably the most worshipful song that we sang went like this, I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-E-S-T-I-N, and I have C-H-R-E-S-T-M-H-A-R-T, and I will have E-E-T-R-E-N-A-L-O-I, now I was 14 years old before I figured out what we were spelling, right, because I was from Dylan. <laughs> And so, so that was it. Uh, and some of the activities that we had, uh, one, one time we took the, we took the backhoe. We had, we, we had a lot of farm equipment. And so we took the backhoe and we dug a hole in the wreck field and filled it up with mud. And then Wednesday, it just became mud day. And that was the activity for the whole day. So we get all the campers and we just, you know, let them fight in the mud. And then when they were done, like, all right, let's go to Bible study. That was it. That's what we did at that camp. But what Coach Lee did... Um, he was, a, he was a pretty phenomenal football player and, and uh, turned down an opportunity to play for the Packers because he felt like God's call in his life was to be an influence in young men's lives. And so he thought he'd do better coaching high school football than being in the NFL, so that's what he decided to do. And so Coach Lee shared the gospel with me. And on, on a Thursday night at camp, every Thursday night, the, um, that was the last night at camp, and the counselors, these college students from around the southeast, um, the majority of them were, were college football players and, and uh, athletes. And he would, except usually the, the worship leader wasn't so much, but, you know, all the other guys. And so, uh, sorry. And so, <clears throat> so they would reenact the crucifixion of Christ. And they'd put on their sheets, you know, from their bunks and kind of go in togas and, and reenact what the Bible describes as a the crucifixion. They'd start with Pontius Pilate. What should I do with this man named Jesus? And they'd all cry, crucify him, kill him. And, He'd say, I wash my hands of this. And then they would march 
whoever was Jesus that week, they'd march him down the side of the bank of the pond there at Camp Pine Hill. And about 100 campers, I don't know if we ever had more than 100 campers at a time, about 100 of us would sit there and watch this, and they would take Jesus to the cross. And, and I remember hearing the, the hammer hit the nails, and then they would, they would put Jesus up on the cross and two thieves next to him. And he would say all seven things that he said on the cross. And then, and then when he would say, it is finished, the counselors had these real torches. That was like the coolest part, right? They had these real torches, and they would douse them into the, into the lake there, and everything would go dark. And then Coach Lee explained to me that God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, his one and only son, to to endure a sinner's death on the cross to purchase for you life. And, And the way he described it is, and so if you want to become a Christian, if you would like to ask Jesus to come into your heart, then uh, it was a Baptist camp, so you had to like walk down the aisle to the front, right? Because you can't do anything at a Baptist church unless you walk the aisle. And so they had the little aisle set up. <clears throat> and then and he, he's sharing the gospel. And then um, the guy on the guitar comes back up and literally sings Kumbaya, literally. We sang we sang Kumbaya. And again, it was like the closest to speaking in tongues that that Baptist, church, Baptist camp ever got. <laughs> and then he transitioned from Kumbaya right into Just As I Am. And on about the 17th verse of Just As I Am, I am sitting back there and Coach Lee saying, I believe there's just one more. There's one more among us that needs to ask Jesus to come into your heart. And I knew he was talking to me, and my heart was about to beat out of my chest, and I was, I was crying, and, and I didn't know where that was coming from. But I thought, I am not standing up in front of all my friends here at this camp. And so I wrapped my feet around the little stool that I was sitting on and sat on my hands and thought, God, you're going to have to save me later. This ain't happening, all right? And then before I knew it, I am eyeball to eyeball with Coach Lee. And he goes, what you want, boy? All right? And I said, I want to be a Christian. And he said, all right, we'll pray the sinner's prayer. And he led me through the ABCs of Christianity, right? That to admit that I'm a sinner, to believe in Christ as my Savior, and to confess him as Lord. And, and, and quite honestly, then as a teenager in, outside of Dillon, South Carolina, at that little camp... I could not explain to you substitutionary atonement or double imputation that Christ was imputed with my sin to endure the wrath of an almighty God, that I would be imputed with his righteousness. I didn't know any of that stuff, but it really didn't matter. Um, I was being saved. And even the language that we use, I don't necessarily agree with, that you ask Jesus to come into your heart. That's not how it works. He saves you. You don't get to invite him, right? That's not just how it works, but none of that really mattered. What was happening in that moment is I was being saved by an almighty God. And it was as real as, as the breath I breathe. And in that moment, God transformed me, and I crossed over from death to life. And again, not very much church background at all. And in fact, when I went home after camp, we moved to another town. We didn't live in Dillon anymore, praise God. We moved to another town, and I was trying to find church that was kind of like camp. And, it, and I, I was, remember thinking, is this even the same God? I mean, this is not like camp, Okay. I didn't understand. I was bored out of my gourd and made a lot of promises as a high school kid sitting in the back row being bored in church going, if I'm ever in charge of church, right? So a lot of what we do here, but we're this far away from a mud pit, you understand? So, <clears throat> Well, Coach Lee grabbed onto me early and he just kind of saw some things in me, I guess, that, uh, and he just put me in leadership and... And it wasn't long after that I was, I was leading kids to Christ. And, and I remember being at camp, and the number one question everybody would ask at camp is, if you were to die tonight, 
Do you know where you would go? And I remember thinking, what is happening tonight? What kind of activity are we participating in that several of us might not make it? It's a tough camp. And so I was about 15 years old, and Coach Lee put me in charge of counselor devotion. And he would do it. He would not give you any warning whatsoever. So the first staff meeting I show up to, it's early in the morning, 6 a.m., and, and, and we show up to this staff meeting, Counselor Devotions, before everybody gets up. And he's like, you know, welcome to Counselor Devotions. Joby Martin, you in charge, okay? Lead him, son. He'd just sit down. <laughs> now? Now? We're do- okay. And so if you've ever been on a mission trip with me to wherever we go, you know we start every morning with 30 minutes along with the Lord, right? Just one-on-one, you and Jesus. Just read the Bible and listen to him. You know how that started? Because the first counselor devotion I ever led, I stood up there and I said, here's what y'all need. Y'all need about 30 minutes by yourself <laughs> with God. He's going to speak to you, all right? And I sent everybody out and I'm like, oh, I got to find something to talk about. <clears throat> so that's how I was introduced to being a Bible study leader. And the first sermon I ever preached was at Camp Pine Hill with Coach Lee. Uh, it's during the worship, all right? It's a Wednesday night, mud day. That was mud pit day. That was always the best day. And then... And, and the, the singer's up there, and we're about, we've spelled out about half of Christian, you know, and he's rocking on, and Coach Lee says, Joby Martin, come here, boy. And I kept, yes, sir. And he goes, uh, I want you to give the sermon tonight. Tonight? Like in four minutes? Like, tonight? And then I say, uh, well, Coach, um, I'm not very comfortable speaking in front of people. And Coach Lee was like, comfortable? Comfortable? Boy, do you think Paul and Silas were comfortable in prison? Do you think Daniel was comfortable in the lion's den? Do you think Jesus Christ was comfortable on the cross? And I'm like, no, sir. (laughs) And so I say, Coach, what do I talk about? And he says, boy, that's easy. You talk about Jesus and you talk about 30 minutes. Go ahead. (laughs) So I went on there. Hey. And I went to John 3.16. It's the only verse I knew probably at that point. And I taught on John 3.16. And I remember four kids got saved that night. I don't think anybody had ever gotten saved on a Wednesday night at camp, right? It was everybody had to wait till campfire kumbaya night on Thursday. And so he would, he would take me around with him sometimes uh, to talk to different groups. I mean, he had an incredible impact, not, on, not just on my life, but on a bunch of different people's lives. And so... Today, I'll talk to probably 10 times as many people than he ever talked to at one time. And he, he would talk to, like, the Rotary Club, you know, and, and he would grab me and just take him with him, take me with him to Rotary. And he'd stand up in front of those folks because, you know, he's the football coach. And he'd go, gentlemen, I know you want me to talk about football, but we ain't going to talk about football. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus. But before I talk, this boy's going to say something. Get up there and say something, boy. And he just... <laughs> There I am, like 16 years old, talking to a bunch of guys about Jesus, and that's just what he did. He's an awesome, awesome man. Well, uh, about four years ago, four and a half years ago, something like that, I was on a mission trip to Jamaica, and I got a call from a guy in Dillon uh, named Buddy Owens, and Buddy called me and said, um, Coach Lee went in for heart surgery last night, and he didn't make it out, and he went on to be with the Lord, and... Uh, and that was a Monday, and his funeral was on a Friday. And so I had this decision to make. Do I leave here and, and go uh, to Coach Lee's funeral? And I just remember thinking how appropriate that I'm not going to be able to make Coach Lee's funeral because I'm on the mission field sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I thought, well, I won't be at his funeral, but neither will he, right? 
He's not there anymore. He is with his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I shared, Coach, you know, how I became a Christian that night. And actually that, that night at, um, on our Jamaica mission trip, we had a bunch of our missionaries, I think four of them, that surrendered their life to Christ, that they were doing church and going on mission trips, but they didn't know Jesus as their Savior yet. Well, when I got back home from the mission trip, there was a guy that, that was a, a member at Beach named Ed Hazelton, and he grew up with Coach Lee. They went to high school together. And so he attended the funeral, and he brought home a DVD of the funeral. And so um, I sat in my office, and, and I popped that DVD in, and I watched that funeral. And sitting in the choir loft, some churches have this thing called a choir loft, all right? It's behind another thing called a pulpit. But anyway, <laughs> sitting in the choir loft was the uh, high school football team that he had just led to a state championship that year before. And the place was packed. And I mean, just packed. It, you know, that many people hadn't been to that church in a long time. And it was people from all over the world that had come to, to just celebrate the life and the legacy of Coach Lee. And the guy that did the eulogy, he was a camp counselor. They went into the ministry. His name's Johnny Rickenbacker, and Johnny Rickenbacker was a, uh, he was a, a college football player when I knew him, and he was like one of my heroes. I wanted to be like Coach Lee. I wanted to be like Johnny Rickenbacker. And Johnny Rickenbacker gets up there, and he tells all these stories about Coach Lee, and it was just, I mean, he was the greatest man in the world. When he'd talk, he'd bark, and when, if we'd ever have some Yankees come in and be camp counselors, I'd have to, like, translate what Coach Lee was saying to them because they couldn't understand <laughs> Because he'd say, good gracious, I ain't never in my life. And they'd be like, what's he saying? It's like he said, good gracious, I ain't never in my life. But it doesn't mean anything, okay? Just, just that's what he's doing. And he called his wife, Big Buddy. Come here, Big Buddy. I remember saying, she can hear you. All right, but he loved her so much, it was cool. <clears throat> and so Johnny Rickenbacker gets up and he says, there is a verse that describes Coach Lee, and he read Acts eleven twenty four. and I want you to see a picture of this man, Bull Lee. This is the man that led me to Jesus. He looks like a bull, don't he? Good. I mean, he looks like a bulldog. That joker is tough as nails and tender as he could be. I mean, that joker is so strong. One time I saw him, he had this little tiny Toyota pickup truck, and his ministry philosophy was, boy, get in the truck. He would tell me, get in the truck, we're going to go hunting or fish or whatever he was going to do. And I remember that guy would... We had a four-wheeler at the camp, and he, he's like, boy, come here and help me load this thing up. Before I could get out of the truck, he leans over and puts the front end in with one hand and puts the back end in with the other. I thought, good gracious, that's the strongest man I've ever seen. And the night I confessed Christ as my Lord and Savior, he cried like a little girl just watched a notebook, man. He just hugged me and sobbed, <laughs> tough and tender. And so Johnny Rickenbacker at his funeral stood up and said, this is the verse that describes Coach Lee. It's a verse in Acts Verse, chapter 11, verse 24, it's describing Barnabas, but it says this, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. That that described Coach Lee's life. And when I heard that, I decided to get that marked on me. A few years ago, we were doing this series called Inked, all right? And I just got this little tattoo right here. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, and I wanted to uh, uh, have marked on me the cross and the crown of thorns. In that verse, Acts eleven twenty four, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
And I know some people don't like tattoos, especially when the preacher has them, and that's good. They probably won't come here. That's fine. We'll see them in heaven. And if you want to argue Levitical law, you know, have, have fun. Right. So if you got a tattoo, rock on. Actually, if you don't have one, when are you getting a tattoo? What's wrong with you people? So I just got one because I want to be like Jesus, right? You got to read the book of Revelations. He says that he's going to come back in his glory, and on his leg will be written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't think that's crayon. I think it's permanent ink. Anyway, so that's just my interpretation. So, so here's the reason I put that on me forever and ever, because I, want, I would like to be like the man that led me to Christ. That Coach Lee, it was easy to, for Johnny Rickenbacker to stand up and say, this is a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people brought to the Lord. And Stephen Covey says one of the things that you need to do is you need to think about what you want people to say about you at your funeral. We talked about it a few weeks ago, because I don't know if you realize this, but the, you know, the death rate in America right now, it's hovering right around 100%. I don't know if you realize that. And so I began to think, what do I want people to say about me at my funeral? Because I'm going to tell you, you know, you guys, you're going to come to my funeral, right? You better. If y'all don't all show up, I'm going to be aggravated with you, all right? We better be an overflow for my funeral. <laughs> and y'all going to show up, and you can cry and tell stories, and I hope you cry. Sing some sad songs, Ben lead it. Sing some sad songs. You get Michael W. Smith in here and sing Friends, Friends, Forever. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. <clears throat> And then at the end of it, though, you're going to put me in a hole and throw dirt in my face. Everybody's going to go somewhere and eat potato salad and fried chicken, and you're going to talk. And some of the things you'll say will be, you know, kind of be weird. You know, people always say weird stuff at funerals. Like, he looks so natural. That's a weird thing to say about a dead guy, isn't it? But above all else, what I hope, I hope I can conduct myself in a way that you could say these four things about me. That I was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit full of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I really don't care if you say there was a whole, you know, he led a big ministry or all of that. That is, that is not my definition of success. My definition of success is Acts eleven twenty four, and I had a great model in Coach Lee. So it starts off with he was a good man. Coach Lee was a good man. He was a man of high moral character. Now, Jesus doesn't, or Luke here doesn't mean that you were perfect because Jesus said nobody's good. And what Jesus meant was, there's nobody that's righteous. That's nobody can be good enough to have a right standing before God. That that, that that has to be purchased for you by Christ's death and resurrection. And so the word here that, that Luke uses in Acts is agathos. It just means a person of high moral character. That I want to be a good man, not so that God will love me. Because that's not how it works. That he loves me anyway, even though I'm a wretched, black-hearted sinner. He loves me. And I want to have a clear view of the difference between my sinfulness and my Savior. And that the, his love fills that gap. And I would be so motivated by the gospel that my life would be an expression of worship to him. Not just the four songs we sing on Sunday, but the way I walk and talk and act and the things I do. That you would be able to say, he was a good man. Listen, I want to be a... I want to be a good man. I want to be a man of high moral character. I want my word to mean something. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I want to do it. And if I realize that I have overpromised and going to underdeliver, I want to tell you early because I'm not perfect. I want to be the kind of man that is the kind of guy that's full of character, that I do what's right according to the word of God, no matter the cost, no matter the circumstances. And I want to be a good husband. That when my days here on earth are done, and again, I hope I get a bunch of them, but I hope that you will be able to say, man, that, that man loved Gretchen. 
I mean, with everything he was made of, he loved that girl. That, that he really did live out Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That I would, be, I would be more about loving my wife than growing some kind of large organization. The Bible says husbands love your wives. It tells every Christian to make disciples. The Bible says Jesus will build his church. And that I would be more focused on that. That you would never hear me say a mean or a hurtful thing about my wife. That I would just lift her up and love her as Christ loved the church. And that I would daily lay my life down for her. And I want to be a good dad I mean, I want to I just pour God's glory and the gospel into my kids. I got a seven-year-old little boy, JP, and a three-year-old little girl, Reagan, and I love those little kids. Holy moly, I'm the most blessed man alive. I mean, I love them. I can't wait to get home this afternoon and walk in the door and see Reagan go, Daddy's home, as if I've been, like, out to sea forever. And I eat it up. I eat it up. And I want to love them and have that kind of tough and tender relationship with them and discipline them to maturity and discipline them because I love them. It's why I coach baseball. You know, on Thursdays before our 722 uh, worship service, I have baseball practice with JP, and I'm not really cut out to be a great Little League baseball coach, all right? One of our, one of our disciple makers that's in New Gen right now, discipling fourth and fifth graders, he's our head coach, and he's awesome with them. He huddles them all together. He's like, guys, you're doing such a good job. You're trying so hard. And I want to go, no, you're not. That kid, you just, you were digging a hole while we're trying to play the game. What is wrong with you, all right? But <clears throat> I don't say that. I just want my boy to know that, that my relationship with him is more important than my job. I want to be a good dad, loves his kids. I had, I had, I had the, the incredible opportunity to be there when, G, when JP surrendered his life to Jesus. I can't wait for the day to step into the waters and he publicly professes Christ as Lord and I get to baptize him. And I can't wait for the day when Reagan's old enough to understand the gospel and God reaches down and regenerates her heart and draws her unto himself. I mean, I've been blessed like crazy. And that's the kind of man I want to be, a, a good husband, a good dad, a good friend. Now, I know I got 3,000 Facebook friends, so I'm not talking about being popular. I could really care less about that. But I want to be the kind of guy that there's a, few, there's a few people in this world that know that you can count on me, that I've got your back. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in, in uh, Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what that means is I'm not trying to earn God's favor. I'm just trying to walk in the freedom that's been purchased by Christ on the cross. That I want my life to be a love song to God in all the days of my life. Ephesians says it this way, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want to be a good man. I got to admit to you, I got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go. I am a selfish liar that sometimes, at the same time, can be arrogant and egotistical while, I mean, simultaneously uh, just, just seeking the applause of man instead of God. i got a long way to go. And I know you guys send me great emails about how great I am, and the reason is because you only see me right now at church, okay? And so up here during this hour, I'm kind of awesome. I'm not saying what I do is awesome. I'm just saying I've never lost my temper and cussed you out from here, all right? So, but in my own personal life, I got a long way to go, a 
a long way to go. And I understand uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. That I've got to lead us in high moral character. And it's the kind of man I want to be. It's the kind of man Barnabas was. It's the kind of man Coach Lee was. And it also says that he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some people that elevate the gifts of the Spirit above the Holy Spirit, okay? And at the Church of 1122, we believe in the full expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we know that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift, and no Christian has all the spiritual gifts. That's why God puts us together as a body, so we, we can uh, uh, help each other out and make up a body. But I want to know Him. I mean, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. One of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to draw us unto the Father. In, in Galatians 4, 6, it says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father that God deposits his Holy Spirit in every person that surrenders their life to the Lordship of Christ. And one of the primary reasons is to draw you unto the Father so you can know him, not just as almighty creator and judge, but you can know him as dad. That word Abba is actually, a, um, it's kind of a slang term for dad. So it doesn't mean like father. You know, where I'm from, we don't go father. That's not how we roll. It's daddy where I live. D-I-D-D-I. I think that's how you spell it, all right, daddy. So we said it that I would have that close, intimate kind of relationship with God. When I talked to Coach Lee about God, he didn't talk about him as an abstract theological concept. There was no uh, therapeutic, moralistic deism there. He knew him. I mean, he talked about him like he knew him. And his prayer life was rich. I remember uh, some mornings I would, before counselor devotions, before all the kids would get up for camp, I would get up extra early and go out to the pond because the pond where we, on the banks of it, where we crucified Jesus every weekend, uh, it was also blessed with some serious bass fishing, all right? And so I would get up early and head out to the bass pond. And sometimes I would go, or every time I'd go by and, and, and Coach Lee's cabin, his little light would be on. And one time I was going to stick my head in there and invite him to go fishing with me because he loved to fish. And I, I poke my, I kind of look through the little window and Coach Lee is just kneeled down on the cement floor by his cot just praying. I thought, man, that's awesome. I mean, I still went fishing, but that was awesome. So I go fishing, and then on my way back in, about an hour later, I come back and peek in, and he's still right there praying. And I thought, man, that's what I need to do, all right? So the next day, I set my alarm, and I got up in the morning, and I kneeled down by my cot, and I started praying, and I'm laying it out there, and I prayed for every sick person I could think of, and I quoted every verse, and I quoted the Lord's Prayer, and I did it all, and I thought, man, that is awesome. I look, four minutes, holy moly. <laughs> going on here <laughs> you see I want to be the kind of man that abides in him and he will abide in me not so I can get something from him but just so I can get him like I just desire his presence I'm addicted to the manifest presence of God and, and not some kind of miraculous you know glowing face kind of thing I don't need all that I just need him and so there, I, I just want to put myself in environments where I'm close to him and so that, so that things like Jesus said will happen. He says, you know, that he's the shepherd and we're the sheep. And the sheep know the shepherd and recognize his voice. I want to hear his voice. And listen, as the pastor of our church, I need to hear his voice. I need to hear his voice. I want to be so tuned in, full of the Holy Spirit, that God has an easy time uh, directing my life. That he doesn't have to shout with a megaphone, but he can just whisper it to my heart. And I go, all right, that's it. Here's, what we're, here's where we're going. 
And so, uh, parents, would you agree with me if you've got a, maybe an elementary age kid that uh, early mornings during the school week, getting them ready for school, isn't that just one of the most stress-free, peaceful times of your life? <clears throat> so JP loves SpongeBob, right? SpongeBob SquarePants. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I know this is going to make me sound old, but I am old, so I don't care. Remember when cartoons were like a cat and a mouse and they were just trying to kill each other and it was awesome? When did it become like a sea cucumber and an underwater squirrel? It's dumb, but he loves it. And so in the morning, <clears throat> you know, I'm barking out instructions because that's how I do. And I'm like, come on, JP, you got to eat your cereal. And it's like, I don't want this kind of cereal. You know what? Some kids don't even get to choose a kind of cereal. They're starving around the world. We got a picture of nine of them on the refrigerator. Just eat your cereal. You know, that's kind of how we do in the spirit of Christian love. And then you go, all right, now you got to brush your teeth. Can you just brush your teeth? And I get him very specific instructions. Stand up from the table, walk into the bathroom, and brush your teeth. But on the way, you see SpongeBob. And he just stops. And I'm right here in his ear going, son, if you don't brush your teeth, your teeth are going to rot out. You're going to have stinky breath. You'll never get a girlfriend. We won't have grandkids, son. You've got to brush your teeth. Any parents with me, okay? Am I alone here? You Okay, good. Praise God. Bunch of wretched black heart sinners. All right, so I literally have to go get the remote and pause SpongeBob and say, JP, and he goes, oh, hey, what? Are you not listening to me? What were you saying? And then I'm thinking, what is wrong with this child? Does he not know I am for him? I'm not against him. I mean, I'm trying to get his, him to brush his teeth for his joy, not, not just for mine. What kind of kid will get distracted by SpongeBob when their dad's right there trying to help them get ready? This kind. And you and I do the same thing every day, right? I am so easily distracted by the things of this world. And God's not just right here beside me barking orders. The Bible says that, that the Spirit of God lives in me. That's what the Bible means when it says your body is a temple. That doesn't mean it matters what you look like in a bikini. Can I get an amen? That means that, that God lives in here, and where God lives, that's the temple. And I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want to be so dialed into God that he whispers to me direction from above, and I am dialed in to be able to know what he wants us to do. That he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And again, I... I want to be able to hear God not so that our church grows. I want to be able to hear him just because he loves me and I love him. So we've got, you know, seven-year-old boy, JP, three-year-old daughter, Reagan Capri, cutest human alive. You can't even argue with it, okay? And so I'm laying on the couch the other night, and she comes in. It's her bedtime, and uh, she's trying to play me, right? So she climbs up onto the couch, and she says, Daddy, I want to hold you, and I don't care. Come on, right? You can sleep later. Come on. You'll nap in college. Get up here. Let's go. <clears throat> and just, I didn't even ask for it. She's just laying there with a little blankie, and she just goes, Dad, you're the best. I love you. And I thought, you don't ever have to go to bed ever again. I don't care. <laughs> Turn your room in the office. You sleep in there every night. I don't care. Because I'm her daddy. And that's what God desires from you, that you would lean up into his arms. Say, Daddy, you're the best. I love you. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit, the kind of man that loves God and hears from God. So he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Now, this was a big one. Coach Lee was full of faith, full of faith. 
Think about this. In a competitive world of high school athletics, here's a high school football coach, football coach, that took every summer and did not spend at practice and summers and all that. He was at camp running camp. And every coach told him, you'll lose. You'll lose. You can't do that and be successful. And the last year he coached, he won the state championship because he was full of faith. Now, listen, you need to hear this. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Some of you have doubts. Well, welcome to the club. We all have doubts. You know what you do with your doubts and your questions and your concerns? You pick them all up and you follow Jesus. And if he answers them, praise God. And if he doesn't, whatever. You just pick them up and follow Jesus. The thing with adults is about doubts is some of you are dumb with your doubts. Some of you doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts. You know what you need to do? You need to believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. That's what you need to do. And pick them all up and then follow after Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, look through the New Testament. Jesus never, he never scolded somebody for having their doubts. Now, you can drown in a sea of doubts. James talks about that. But look at how Jesus treated men and women in the scriptures that have doubts. In Mark chapter 9, there's this guy, and he's got a son, and the son is demon-possessed. And so he goes to the, some of you can relate, right? So he goes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, if you can, will you heal my boy? And Jesus is like, if I can. Who do you think you're talking to? You know, not, that's not exactly how he says it, but that's kind of what he means. And then Jesus says, anything is possible for him who believes. And you know what the man says? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. He's saying, I got doubts. And how does Jesus respond? He didn't go back in the line, sucker. Uh-uh. I only do miracles for people with big faith. You know what he does? He heals the guy's boy. And that guy had doubts. Or how about Doubting Thomas? Remember him, Doubting Thomas? Which is kind of a, kind of a bummer of a nickname for all of eternity, right? You're going to bump into Thomas in heaven and be like, you're Doubting Thomas. He's like, dude, I was an apostle. Back off. Okay, was there for all the miracles. What'd you do? Who are you? All right. Well, Thomas, Thomas is a little bit like me. Thomas is a skeptic because I, I, I'm a skeptic. And uh, uh, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, has appeared to all the other apostles. But, but Thomas says, look, I ain't believing you. Y'all talk about all kind of crazy stuff. I've got to see the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet and the, and the scar on his side. I've got to see it to believe it. And then what does Jesus do? He just shows up in the room. The Bible says that all the doors are locked in the upper room and that Jesus just appears. See, I'm just going to tell you, if I'm Thomas at that point, I'm like, all right, check. I'm good. I'm following you. If you can just show up in a room with locked doors, all right, I'll sing your songs and wear your sandals and eat your communion. I don't care. I'm with you. And you know what Jesus says? He doesn't look at him and say, how dare you doubt? Didn't I, you know, you didn't believe me? No, no, no. He proves himself. He goes, there they are. Touch them. And then he says, blessed is he who believes and doesn't see. He's talking about us. Or I don't know if you're familiar with the story of, of, uh, of Jesus walking on water and he calls Peter out of the boat to walk on the water. Well, think about this. Uh, we like to skip to the end where Peter sinks. But you know, before Peter was sinking, he was walking on the water too. You get that? That Peter's got two or three steps on the water. And I believe they were like Ric Flair kind of woo kind of steps, all right? If you're under 35, Google Ric Flair. Okay, so. And then, and then when he begins to sink, you remember why he sank? He sank, the Bible, not because he doubted, because we're, what is he going to doubt? Jesus is standing on the water. Jesus is doing just fine. There's nothing to doubt. The Bible says he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he's filled with fear because of the wind and the waves. And when he began to fear, that's when he began to sink. And then that, Jesus says to him, you have little faith. You see, the opposite of fear is not doubt. If you have doubts, pick them up, follow Jesus. The opposite of, of faith is fear. Fear paralyzes. Faith moves to action. 
The Bible says that God did not give us a spirit of fear. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. So listen, I want to be the kind of man that is not full of fear, but it's full of faith. That when God says do something, as I'm abiding in him and he speaks to me, then that's what we do. And that's how I want to lead this church too. Like no wimpy leaders here, that we want to be full of faith and not of fear. And there's a lot of things that I believe that God has intended to do in our country and around the world. And the reason that it didn't happen is because it was a bunch of fear-filled church leaders instead of faith-filled church leaders. And I can tell you, when we, when we launched this church, I had a lot of people trying to save me from me. Come in and go, you sure? You're going to, I mean, you haven't even had a church yet. And you're going to move into the Walmart? Like, yeah, I know. And I had people going, you know what? You can't start with that big of an auditorium. You got to start with like 300 people. Aren't you afraid? I don't know. And they would ask me this. Do you think it's going to work? What do you mean work? I don't know if it's going to work. We're just doing what God told us to do. And I'm signing leases and signing papers. And thank God for Lars Peterson. I would look at him. He'd wink and I'd sign. And here we are. Right? Why? Because we're not going to have, we're not going to be full of fear and paralyzed. We're going to be full of faith. Look, a couple, well, maybe one or two times a year I go play golf, okay? I'm not a golfer. I don't have, I don't have time or money. And if I, wanted, if I wanted to be that frustrated for four hours at a time, I'd just go sit at JTB at 5 o'clock and just cuss for free. You know what I mean? Wouldn't have to pay $100 to go out there, but, but it's fun, so I like to do it. So sometimes, some of you guys will invite me to come out and play golf at your fancy clubs, and I will, I will. I'll eat your $9 hamburger, you know, run by Goodwill, get some $4 khakis, and I'll play golf with you. It's fun. But here's what I never do when I play, and I'm terrible, which makes it even better. I never lay up. I never lay up. So somebody will try to explain to me, all right, see, here on 17, what you've got to do is you need to, you need to scale back a few clubs, and you're just going to lay up. And then you can clear the water in the next shot. And I go, no, 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 I don't lay up. Right? That's not how I roll. Give me the big, let the big dog eat, baby. Let's do, okay? And I'm terrible, so it doesn't really matter anyway. But guess what happens? I've never been in the clubhouse afterwards talking about the round and somebody go, you know what was awesome? The way you laid up on four. No. But occasionally, about every three years or so, I get up there with my club. And on my backswing, I get filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The same spirit that, that caused David to defeat Goliath and Samson to tear down the temple. And it comes in there, and the stars align, and the angels sing, and boom, I drill one. And it goes where it's supposed to go and clears the water or clears the hazard. And every other little pansy is laying up. But I don't lay up. Because I'm not a layup kind of guy, I'm a go for it kind of guy because I don't want to be the kind of leader that lives a life of regret because you were fueled by fear, but I want to be fueled and filled with faith. And I don't care about golf either, so who cares, right? And so that's the kind of church we're going to lead. And that's what we're going to do. And we got some stuff coming in the next couple of years, and you can clap right now, but oh, that's so funny. But I'm telling you, we're going to be rolling out some campaigns in some arenas where we believe God is moving and calling us to walk in faith and not in fear. And then we'll see if you're clapping. You will be. It'll be awesome, all right? You're a good church. So I want to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. But I got a long way to go. I mean, I got a long way to go. Because there are still times in my life where the applause of man is too important. One of the things Coach Lee used to tell me, especially when I went into ministry, he said, son, you got to shrink the size of your ear hole. 
Because, you know, on a football helmet, you got ear holes there. And sometimes what he would do with his players is he would take duct tape and he would tape over them. Because he would say, what those people in the stands are saying doesn't matter. What matters is what your coach is telling you to do. And so there's still times in my life where I've got to remind myself of what Coach Lee said. When the applause of people become too important and we're faced with decisions, there's, there's one verse that I keep on my desk, Galatians 1.10. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? I want to be full of the Holy Spirit and faith so that the approval of my heavenly Father is primary. It's the only thing that matters and not the popularity of a message or, or the approval of people. And that'll only happen when we are full of faith. And then it ends with this. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, I mean, in, in the book of Acts, what that means is a whole bunch of people, right? I mean, it, it does. Thousands and thousands of people are coming to Christ. On the first day of church in Acts 2, they had 3,000 people come to Christ. Later, they added another 5,000 people coming to Christ. So a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Um, Acts 2.47 says this, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So one of the things I pray for every year is that God would save 365 people this year in our church. Because that way we'd be biblical, right? That means at the end of the year, day by day, people were added under the number. And then every 40 years we pray for 366. Get that extra guy in, all right? And in fact, we've been open. Um, we've been open for 175 days. This church has been open for 175 days. We opened the doors September 23rd. As of this service right now, 388 people have professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. Right? So, let me say this. So that's awesome, and we praise God for that. And, and, and we're, you know, we're building out and expanding. We're doing all kinds of stuff so more people can come to know him. But for me, for me and for our team, that great number isn't a large crowd. Like, I didn't get into this to just draw large crowds to an event. If I wanted to do that, I'd work in monster truck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what we're trying to do is make disciples. And we would, that great number for us is just one more. That, that when I pray every week that a great number of people will be brought to the Lord, that just God, would you just save one more person? And by your goodness and by your grace, if you would let me be a part of that, praise you. If not, that's fine too. But but by your mercy and your grace, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to the manifest presence of God. And I love to see people cross over from death to life. Just one at a time. Not, not, not crowds. Just one at a time that people would come to know the Lord. And I thank God Almighty that he put a man in my life, Coach Bull Lee, that, that, was, that was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And one of that great number was me. And that by God's provision and grace, he would let me spend the majority of my days just trying to do exactly what Coach Lee did and lead a great number of people to the Lord. And that, that's just one, one more person. I shared, this, uh, I shared this verse the week after, a few weeks after I got that tattoo about two and a half years ago when we were a service at Beach. And I was talking about just if just one more person could come to Christ. That, that's what we pray for. And on that day, in that service about, I guess about two and a half years ago, there was a 15-year-old girl. And, uh, and you know, the way we end, we say, if you're ready to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, would you, would you just as a, as a symbol, 
raise your hand to God and say, God, here I am. I surrender to you. And you just confess him as Lord and Savior. And on that day, two and a half years ago, there was a 15-year-old girl sitting between her mom and her dad. And she'd brought them to church. And they had some church background, but um, not, they hadn't experienced the Lord like, like at 11.22. And so on that day, again, as I'm sharing my testimony, as I'm talking about the man that led me to Christ and, and about what I would like for my life to look like, this 15-year-old girl lets go of her dad's hand and raises her hand in the air to profess Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And that high school girl, her name was Mackenzie Noel Wilson. Four weeks later, Mackenzie was in the hospital. And I was introduced to her family, and her dad walks up to me in the hospital with Mackenzie's Bible. And in her Bible, over top of one of the pages in the book of Mark, she wrote, I want to make my faith public. And Mackenzie went home to be with the Lord from that hospital. It was a Tuesday morning. Her time of death was 11.22 a.m. And she wrote, make your faith public in her Bible. And so her parents, as we're putting together that celebration service of her life and testimony and legacy, and the Williams were there, and the Martins were there, and we're all putting this thing together. And her mom and dad just said, we want you to be an active part of, of God answering that prayer request that she wanted to make her faith public. And we want, we want her service to just be an 1122 service. And so that's what we did. And there was about 1,700 people that showed up for her funeral. And uh, about 70 people received Christ that day. And since then, her parents have leveraged her, her testimony and her legacy to start the McKenzie Wilson Foundation. And there's McKenzie clubs all over the place. There's two uh, McKenzie Academic Resource Centers and two communities that we partner with. They've built an orphanage in Uganda. We're looking for another place to build an orphanage. And literally hundreds of people have come to know Christ through the story, the life, and the testimony of McKenzie Wilson. And she was just one more, one more. And I, I mean, this is kind of personal just for me, but what God did in that moment, I mean, I knew I was called to ministry, but what God deal, did, he sealed something in my heart that God used an unlikely messenger, a JV football coach, that people couldn't even really understand when he talked to lead me to him. And then he used me to lead McKenzie to him. And then he used McKenzie's testimony and legacy to lead hundreds of people to him. And you know what? If you know Christ, and especially if you've come to know Christ through our ministry at 1122, I can't wait for the day that we'll stand in heaven. And Coach Lee's been there. He'll be there. I mean, we've got Mandy Miller sitting on the front row. She's on our staff now. She was one of the people that got saved at, on the mission trip hearing about Coach Lee. So I can't wait to, to that day say, hey, Coach Leona, I want to introduce you to somebody. This is Mandy Miller. Because of you, because you cared enough about me to share the gospel, I shared the gospel with her, and here she is, Coach. And for, for many of you in the room, Coach Lee is like your spiritual grandfather. He's going to look at you and say, good gracious. Right? That's what he says. So a few years ago, I wrote Coach Lee a letter. It was a part of a series that we were doing. It says, dear Coach Lee, I hope you're doing well. It's been a long time since I've contacted you. This week, I was thinking about my life, and I realized what a huge part you played in me becoming the man that I am. Thank you for being such a faithful man of God. Thank you for being willing to run Camp Pine Hill summer after summer. 
Thank you for caring enough about this confused little boy that you went out of the way to get me to camp each summer. I will never forget that night when I was introduced to Christ. The counselors reenacted the crucifixion of Christ. And as I watched what Jesus did on the cross, I knew it wasn't just a church story, but an actual event. I remember you looking at me and telling me that God loved me so much that he sent his only son to pay the price for me. That night, I asked Jesus into my heart. My life has really changed a lot since that night at camp because you cared enough about me to share the love of God. Hundreds have come to know that same love. I'm a pastor now. And by the grace of God, he uses me on a daily basis to share with people what you shared with me. Thank you for loving God and loving me. Your son, Joby Martin. Have you ever surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ? Christ died on a cross because you don't need to be a better version of you, but you need a Savior. Those of you that are good at going to church and you think you're good enough, you couldn't be more wrong. What you lack is forgiveness of your sin. And Christ died on the cross to purchase that forgiveness so that you could be in a right relationship with God. And I got good news for those of you on the other end of the spectrum. This was kind of my end is that there is nothing that you have done that has disqualified you from God's grace. His love, His grace poured out on the cross is bigger than anything you could have done or, or will ever do. And that He died for you to purchase your pardon if you'll just surrender to Him. Would you please bow your head where you are? If you would say that to me today by what God is doing in my heart, I know he's calling me to salvation and I'm ready to surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ. Would you raise your hand right where you are? It's not a raised hand that saves you. It's Christ's death and resurrection that saves you. And if you raise your hand, you're saying, I am professing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior for the very first time. And then you pray a simple prayer to your heavenly Father where you confess Jesus as your Lord and the Bible says that you will be saved. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much that salvation is found in you and you alone, Jesus. God, I thank you for boldly, God, for such a tough and tender man. God, I thank you that by your sovereign grace you placed him in my life to tell me about you. God, I thank you for Mackenzie Wilson. God, that you placed that girl in our church at that time to draw her to you and use her story to really actually reach the ends of the earth. And God, I praise you for the men and women that are in this room right now that you are reaching down and softening their heart and drawing them to their seat at the table though they did nothing to earn it, though we've done nothing to earn it. And God, there's nothing that we could do to disqualify us from the seat that you have picked for us at your table. God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?